0: Do you ever look at the news, read the paper, look at some news feed, perhaps on your phone, and you look at it all and you just say, what in the world is going on? What is this whole thing about? What's this whole thing about? Yes. I believe you've probably asked that question, and if you're a thinking person here tonight, you've thought it through to some extent. Perhaps if you're a believer, you've sought the scriptures and you can formulate maybe perhaps some answers to that particular question. When I look at the situation in the world tonight, and I look at all the people around the world, in all the different countries, and I think of all the different sins that are committed and the atrocities happening across the world. I think of all the different economies, and all the nations, and how complicated it is. And I think of all the different governments, and 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 dictatorships, and political structures, and I think, what is this all about? Why is this all happening the way it is? And perhaps you've come up with some answers yourself, and there are some good answers, but The best way, perhaps, and I want to submit it to you tonight, the best way to answer the question is with a verse of scripture that Paul drops on us in Romans, the 11th chapter in verse 32. And I'm going to have it up on the screen for you. It says this, for God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. He opens up the, chapter, the book, Romans, and if you wanna sit down and read, if you wanna know Christianity, pick up the book of Romans and just begin to read in chapter one and go all the way through. And it's really, it's a, really a, a, a great treatment of Christian theology. Paul opens up the book in chapter one and he's talking about the condition of man and how mankind has just gone out and done whatever they wanted to do. They've pursued their heart's desires. And a lot of that was going in the opposite direction of God until you get down to the middle, it, to the end of chapter one, where Paul says that God has literally given the people of the world over to what they want to do. He's given them up, he's given them over to the rulership of these other principalities and powers, and he, he's given them up to their own heart's desires. When the Bible now one of the one of the places in the Bible that gives a lot of people a hard time because they're thinking how can God do that? You, you say to yourself, if God gives you up to for you to do whatever you want, you say, okay, well that's fair, that's fair. But then you come to a passage where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and those types of passages, and you say, well, well, that doesn't seem to be fair. That doesn't seem to be Uh, at all fair. Well, really, when you study those passages, you come away with this important truth and it needs to be understood that God hasn't predetermined that someone's heart would be would be hardened. Those passages deal with someone being literally confirmed by God in the desires and in the actions and the decisions that they've made. And so when you see Pharaoh continually doing the things that he's doing and continually not hearkening himself to the word of the Lord to let the people of Israel go, then it comes down to, okay, God confirmed Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God said, okay, I'm giving you over to that decision that you've made. And that's perhaps, those are some of the toughest scriptures in all of the the Bible. God uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart. God gave them up to their desires and to what they wanted to do. He gave gave people up to their own desires. Why did he do it? Well, Paul gets down to chapter 11 and he says, for God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. God's mercy is available. That is what God wants to do. He's given everybody free will. We've had it on the trailer every week that God has given man a choice, that you've been given free will, that you can do what you're free to do what you want to. And because of that, we've all chosen sin. We've all chosen the desire of our flesh that is against God and we've gone in the opposite direction the Bible says we've gone astray all like sheep we've gone astray each one to his own way and that's not the end of the story even though you've done that every single person that can hear my voice and 7 billion people across the, the earth tonight mercy is available he's committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on them all Paul goes on in Romans 3 about the condition of every person and that, uh, that, that everybody has disobeyed, but they have been committed to disobedience that God might have mercy on them all. Now, if you look at the word, the New Testament word for mercy, and it's here in this verse, chapter 11, verse 32. It's a word that means mercy, kindness, goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Joined with a desire to help them, so this is what God wants to do. He has goodwill towards you. You ever think about that on Christmas when we, when the you know the, the shepherds heard the, the 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 angels say, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men." Right? Why? Because God has goodwill. Towards man, he wants to have mercy on whosoever would come to him. And so, well, the question is really, who's Paul talking about in that verse? That he might have mercy on who? Well, he says, well, let's put it back up there. He says, on them all, that he might have mercy on all. Well, he he's talking about Jews In chapter 9, 10, and 11, he's talking about the Jews being kind of given over to their, uh, you know, rejection of Messiah. But he's also talking about Gentiles as well. So that he's talking about every single person. That God wants to have mercy. So think about your life right now. Think about your work. Think about the complexity of your life. Think about the things that you've done wrong, the things that you've done right. And multiply that by 7 billion that are alive right now on the earth and more that have lived through, down throughout history and more that will live, those even in hospitals being born right now. And so we want to think about the enormity of The mercy that God wants to have, that he wants to have mercy on all, on every single person. And that's how vast and complex and available the mercy of God is. God wants us to obtain mercy, so how do we obtain it? In our study tonight in Genesis 43, we will see God's mercy and we will see how to obtain it. And we should pursue God's mercy first with honesty and humility that we should possess God's mercy as a gift of God, and then we should providentially receive God's mercy in his timing. So first, if you're taking notes, how do you obtain the mercy of God? You pursue mercy first with, with honesty and humility. Let's pick it up in chapter 43 of Genesis, verse one, it says this. Now the famine was severe, In the land and it came to pass when he had eaten up, when they had eaten up the grain which they had bought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you also and our little ones. And I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we have not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that we returned that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release you, your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. We left it off last week with the brothers having gone down to Egypt to, to, to buy some grain. Of course, we, remember the setting. We, we've had seven years of bounty in Egypt and seven years of And now they're in the middle of seven years of harsh famine. And of course, this was all pre-told in a dream, two dreams, actually, a pair of dreams that was given to Pharaoh, interpreted by Joseph, thus elevating Joseph to the second of all command of Egypt. And he was in charge of this whole process of saving up the grain for the time of famine. Now we find ourselves in the time of famine and the brothers have already come down and They, Simeon was taken into custody and he's basically being held. And if they come back for more grain, uh, Joseph had told them, of course, they don't know it's Joseph yet. And he's told them, if you come down here, don't come down here. You're not going to see my face unless you bring your, your little brother with you. And so this is the situation. Judah here kind of speaks up and he reminds His father, the man warned us that we could not see him unless our brother Benjamin is with us. If Benjamin goes with us, we will go. But if he doesn't go, we will not go. And in that sense, Judah is saying, look, there's no need for us to go because the man will not see us unless we bring Judah. And then, of course, Israel, Jacob, Israel, right? He questions them. You know, and I, and I like this because this actually shows the personal side of the whole situation. This, this is a question that perhaps you would ask if you were in Jacob's shoes, if you were in Israel's shoes. Guys, why did you even tell him you had a little brother? I mean, couldn't you have just kept that a secret? I mean, why did you even have to open your mouth to tell him that you had a little brother? And they answered and they said, we had no idea the guy was asking us questions. Do you have a father? Is he still alive? Do you have any more brothers? And we answered the questions. How were we to know what was happening and what he would do? Then Judah speaks up again. And he, he, basically, he says, look, give me the boy under my care. I'm going to go down. I'll take him down. I, I will pledge my life for his, that I will bring him back, and I will set him before you, Jacob. Father, I will, I will do this. And Israel agrees. Jacob agrees, and he gives them specific instructions on what to do. And what does he tell them? He tells them to bring to the man, bring to the man a gift, a sacrifice, if you will, to the man. And so, he wants to bring him a gift. Now, look at this. Uh, look at this gift. Verse 11, and their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels, and carry down a present for the man a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, and pistachio nuts and almonds. Evidently, they had some pistachio nuts. I've heard those are pretty good, right? Pistachio nuts and almonds. So he's going to take a gift. Then he says, take double the money, verse 12, take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Remember when they left with the grain the first time, they got back and they discovered that all the money that they had paid for the grain, all the money was in the top of their sack. So they have the grain and all the money and it was like, oh no, what, what, what's going on here? What are we gonna do? So Jacob says, look, take it all, take double the money, take all that money back, we don't know what's going on. We've gotta basically we ha- we have to have kind of nothing to hide, so to speak. We've gotta be, we've got to, we've gotta be like just absolutely transparent here. Here's the money, we don't know how this came about. It was in our sacks, here it is. Here's double the money. Look, here, here here's the whole thing. Look. We've got to be 100% transparent. And this is the way that we have to approach God to receive the mercy of God. A lot of times people want to receive the mercy of God, but they are kind of, well, if I could receive the mercy of God and still kind of be kind of coy with the whole thing, if I can still kind of be shadowy, if I can still kind of hide some things in the, this back corner over here of my life, this will be cool. But see, that's not how you receive the mercy of God. That's not how you're going to receive mercy. That's not how they were going to receive mercy from Joseph. And that's not how we're going to receive mercy from God. God wants us to come clean with him. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to come in humility. He wants us to come in honesty. And so we go back to that famous passage, that famous scripture that every Christian should be able to, should have memorized, that you should be able to quote, 1 John 1, 9, right? You'll see it up on the screen. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we love the second half of that verse, right? We love the, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all, well, well, let's, but but there's an if, (laughs) right? There's an if there that that John says, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is this confession? Confession so that we can receive mercy. Confession is literally coming clean with the Lord. It's literally coming in humility and honesty and laying everything bare before the Lord. And and basically confession, New Testament confession is agreeing with God. It's coming into agreement with God about your situation and saying, look, I've got nothing to hide, God. You know everything anyway. I can't pull the wool over your eyes. So here's the situation. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you and you alone, Lord. And I want to agree with you because I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your love. And that's what I want. And that's the surefire way to receive it. Amen. If you want to have the grace and the mercy of God in your life, learn to be a person who confesses. Learn to be a person who realizes that it's the absolute best strategy that you can have in your life is to agree with God. It doesn't mean that you can say, Lord, I don't understand why you're doing this over here, and I don't understand why this over here, and I don't understand what's going on in my life right now, but I will agree with you on this point, Lord. I've sinned against you and you alone. And that is something that should be the marker of the true believer, the true saint, the true Christian. Confession, coming into agreement. Is being honest with God and honest with ourselves. You ever see remember the show Cops? Anybody anybody used to love watching Cops? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Be honest. Okay, I thought so, at least a good half. You know that they founded that show in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in in the Oakland Park area of Florida. And if you I was I was down on Oakland Park Boulevard, and it's like, what am I doing down here, right? This is where they started cops. Right? You don't wanna be down here where they started cops. But the show was it, it had its funny moments, right? Where the cop would pull someone over and uh you know, they would begin questioning the, the driver. And 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 you know, perhaps there was, you know, some some intoxication involved or something that would make the person feel like, you know, the cop feel like, hey, I need to do some investigation here and I need to search and and, and see and so I get the person out of the car out of the uh, vehicle and, and begin to look around in the car and sure enough there would be a loaded weapon under the seat with a bag of marijuana <laughs> right and this would be the question this is how the questioning would go by and I, and I saw this multiple times if you know the show you know how this went down right, right. are these yours <laughs> are these yours no officer I don't know whose those are. I don't know how they got there. Okay, so you're riding around in a vehicle in Fort Lauderdale on Oakland Park Boulevard, and you don't know how there's a loaded weapon with a bag of marijuana under your seat. Officer, no, I have no idea, right? This would be the opposite of confession. (laughs) This would be the opposite of coming clean. And it's amazing. I think there's some people that approach the Lord like that, as if they're going to somehow pull a, pull the wool over the eyes of the Lord. And I've said this before, and you've been around me a little bit. You know that in the book of Revelation, there's a picture of Jesus, and it says he has wool. His hair is wool. It's not literally wool. It's a picture. It's, it's, it's a picture of the person of God and the, the wisdom of God, okay? So there's there's personification that is used to, to bring about some things about the attributes and the character of God, okay? But it also says that his eyes are like fire. He may have hair of wool, but you can't pull the wool over his eyes because they're eyes of fire. He's gonna shoot right through. He's gonna anything, any way that you try to to cover it up. And that's why as a believer, you can live your life. Here's the great thing about being a believer in Christ is you can live your life being totally honest with the Lord about your situation. Amen. Amen. You can be totally honest when you messed up, when you've fallen short of the glory, what do you need to do? You need to come back to the Lord and say, God, I messed up. Lord, I, I know that it's wrong what I did. I, I messed up. I agree with you, Lord. And I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing right now. And that's, and that's the, the beauty of the relationship that we have with the Lord because it's a, it's a relationship. I mean, we teach this to people, right? All relationships are built on on you know, trust and honesty and all these things. And how can you have a relationship with the Lord that's worth anything if it's not based upon those same principles of honesty? Look at the last verse of Scripture in that section that we read, and this is really what Israel says. And and he says in verse 14, And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your, your other brother and Benjamin. And if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So, he says, may God Almighty give you mercy. There's some things that we get wrong. There's some viewpoints that you get wrong. Some ways of thinking that you get wrong. Hey, no, no, no. Philosophically, I'm just, I'm absolutely fundamentally coherent. All my opinions are 100% correct. No, (laughs) no. We get some stuff wrong. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. But there's one thing to not get wrong. That you need mercy and you need it from one place. You need it from the Father in heaven. You need it from the almighty God of heaven that we've sung to tonight. And, 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 and as much as Israel, as much as Jacob got wrong, as much as he did wrong, as much as he deceived, as much as he did things that weren't right, that weren't upright and true. Right here, he gets it right because he knows that mercy needs to be found from God. And he says, maybe God, maybe Almighty God will give us mercy. And so, first, we, we receive mercy in humility and, and honesty, amen? Secondly, tonight, we need to possess mercy as a gift of God. Let's pick it back up in verse 15, Genesis forty-three. It says this: So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, "Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men, for these men will dine with me at noon." Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. And when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir. We indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought it down, brought down other money in our hands to buy food, and we do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, "'Peace be with you. Do not be afraid.'" Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brought Simeon out to him. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they had heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Let's stop right there. We receive mercy. We, we, we need to pursue it with humility and honesty. We need to possess it. We need to possess the mercy of God as a gift of God. So the brothers go down to Egypt with Benjamin and all the, the, the monies that they took. And when Joseph saw Benjamin, he told his steward to take these men to his home and slaughter an animal. And they were going to jo- dine with Joseph at noon. Now, let me just put this into perspective. He's already seen them, but listen to what Joseph's doing. I mean, he's, he's got them down and the, the, they don't know what's going on. I mean, they're fearing for their lives. They've brought down, they've brought back all the money. They brought double the money. They brought a gift pistachio nuts and almonds and all kinds of stuff, right? And so they're doing this. And so they get down there. What happens? Joseph looks at him. He sees his brother that he hasn't seen, his little brother that he hasn't seen probably since he was a baby. And he sees his brother and he tells his steward, look, take these guys, take them all down to my house. And... And, and, and slaughter an animal because we're going to have something to eat. I don't know about you, but my, my mind immediately went to the, the last section of the prodigal, the last portion of that parable when Jesus talks about the, the prodigal coming home and he, he, he sees himself, he, he's gone on on and he spent his money, wasted his money on, and as Jesus put it, riotous living. He spent all his money on riotous living till he had nothing left, no friends, no money. He was literally living in the streets. And he said, look, I'm going I'm to get up from here. I'm going to go to my father's house because I'd rather, I could be a doorkeeper in my father's house. It'd be better than, than to live here in the streets. So he goes home and what happens? I talk about this all a lot. He goes home and his father sees him coming. And his father runs to meet him. And he throws himself on his son. And he tells his servants, kill, kill the fatted animal because we're, we're gonna have a feast tonight. We're gonna have a party. We're, we're gonna have a feast and, and put a robe on his on him and, and put a ring on his finger because we're gonna have a feast. And I I can't help but at least seeing at least just a, 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 a just a flash of from this passage into that passage, knowing the full story and knowing Jesus, looking at this from that perspective. So, and this is what Jesus does with us, amen? He gives us a gift. Now, they don't even realize that he, here's the thing, they don't even realize that they're being given, you know, a gift. I mean, Sometimes when your guilt, the guilt is on you or whatever's weighing upon you, you don't really interpret things correctly. You, things happen, people even do stuff for you, and you can't even interpret it correctly. You don't know how to view it, and a lot of times you view it wrong, and these guys are not even interpret here they're being invited for a meal back at Joseph 's house, who's second in command of all of Egypt. you think You'd think, they'd say, well, wow, this is, why is this happening? I mean, if he was angry with us and he was going to take us into custody, make us slaves, whatever, wouldn't he just throw us in the dungeon, take our money? Why is he inviting us over to the house? They're not even interpreting it correctly. They get to the door, they get to the house, and they pull the steward aside. Look, here, we need to talk. (laughs) We need to talk about this situation before this whole thing goes down. We didn't mean, we went, we, we came down, we bought food. We got back to the encampment. Suddenly we opened up our sacks. There was all the money. We have no idea how this happened. And we just, we just need to talk to you about that. And, and, and it's great what the servant said. Look back in the text. What did the servant say? verse 23 peace be with you do not be afraid your god and the god of your father has given you treasure in your sacks i had your money and then he brought Simeon out to them what's this your god is your god has put a treasure in your sack now i i don't know if he's just if he's just saying that or perhaps maybe joseph put him up to saying that maybe it was revealed that they would That they would say this. We don't have all the record here. But it seems to be. However you want to look at that. That it's. A picture of the grace of God. That God is giving them grace. And they don't even know it. They don't even know how to interpret it. Here Joseph. is, is, Is giving them grace. Is giving them mercy. And they don't even know. How to interpret it. So. This is what's happening. So when Joseph gets back, well, his brothers got to Joseph's house. um, They, they want to talk to the, to the, to the steward. And he, he, he tells them this. Now look at that. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Now, We've got to see this, and this is, the, this is probably perhaps there's something hard about this to understand for us. Because even if we have come clean with the Lord, and we've said, look, I confess, I agree, and there's forgiveness. There's a transaction. It's a, I believe it's a, it's a transaction. I mean, when Jesus paid the price for your sin on the cross, it was a, it was a legal transaction that took place. It went down. There's the love of God, there's the mercy of God, there's, there's the legality of it all. And we have a hard time with that because even though we've confessed and we've come clean with the Lord, we still want to try to make up for it somehow. We we still wanna kind of like keep talking around it, like Lord, you know, here's what here's what I'm gonna do to make this better. And he's like, look, I put a treasure in your sack. <laughs> I took care of it, I took care of it, no, but lord you don't understand because what here's what i'm going to do to make this all better here's here's what here's what i'm going i'm going'm going there's some things I, i've got I've got some ideas Lord about what I can do to make this up to you <laughs> right and we have a hard time with it, and that's why we've got to wrap our minds around the grace of God, the mercy of god and there's a scripture in the Psalms, verse 32, or chapter 32, verse 1. I'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, if you're reading the, the Psalm of the day, you will never get to this chapter because it's 32. You, you only get to 31. So you've got to read past 31 to get to this chapter Blessed is he who trans, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You're blessed. Your, your transgression is forgiven. Your sin is covered. We've got to, I mean, there's kind of just, I don't know what it is. Is it like a mental ascent? Is it kind of understanding? Is it, is it just God giving us understanding? Look, I've taken care of it. Your sin is covered. I got it covered. I've got it under control. 2,000 years ago, I shed my blood on a cross on a hill called Calvary, and I covered it. I covered it. And so blessed are you if your sin has been covered, if your transgression has been forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgression will not be held against him. Amen? Amen. Then they brought Simeon out. They were given water and feed for their donkeys. Now, lastly tonight, We've got to providentially receive the mercy of God. We receive that grace of God, the mercy of God, in that forgiveness of sin, and we possess it as a gift. But then there's there's the providential mercy of God, where he intervenes in our lives at particular points. Let's pick it up, verse 26. It says this, And when Joseph came home, and they brought him the present which was in, the, in their hand into the house. And they bowed down before him to the earth. And then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he alive? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He's still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there. And then he washed his face and he came out and he restrained himself and he said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them. By themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. And then he took servings from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. And so they drank and were merry with him. So we've got to receive, we 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 possess the mercy of God as a gift of God, but then we have to providentially receive the mercy. When we when you talk about providence, we understand. If I asked you what what does providence mean? This thing's, we gotta fix this. This is not providential here. If I asked you what was what's providence? And we've got a couple Rhode Islanders here, and they say, Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. The Providence Plantation, the island of Rhodes and the Providence Plantation. right? Providence is this idea. Yeah, it's this idea where, where somebody's taking care of it, but the Providence comes, there's something in Providence. That there's an idea of the timing of it. That, 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 that wow, wasn't that providential? Someone knew. Someone must have known we were going to be here. Someone must have known we were going to need this. Someone must have known that we were going to need this exact amount of money at this exact time to take care of this need that we had. See, there's something. There's there's. It's not just taking care of a need. It's not just providing for. There's this idea of the timing of it all. And we have to providentially receive the grace and mercy of God because there's the mercy and the grace of God that comes into our lives each and every day for forgiveness of sin and the the, the joy of the Lord and all those blessings that we receive. And then there's mercy and grace that we receive providentially because it's going to come into our lives At an exact time, at an exact moment, there's things that are going to happen that were delayed, perhaps in our perspective were delayed, but then when it happens, we're going to look at it and say, wow, how providential, how incredible that this happened just the way that it did. So when Joseph got home, they brought the brothers, they brought him the present that they had, that the brothers had brought and prepared for him, and they bowed down before him and Joseph asked about their father. Hey, the old man, your father, is he still alive? Your your father that you you spoke about? Yes, he's still alive. And he looks to Joseph, and Joseph saw his brother Benjamin, his little brother, his little baby brother, that he hadn't seen. And Joseph speaks to, to Benjamin, and he says to Benjamin, God, be gracious to you, my son. The word for gracious is a word that means to be gracious, to show favor, to show favor, to be gracious, to make gracious, to to make favorable, to to be shown favor, to be shown consideration. And this is what is offered to Benjamin. And so there's this idea of receiving the grace of God and it comes In a providential way, it comes in a timing in our lives that we need to understand. At this time that that Joseph is speaking to his brother, he just becomes overwhelmed. The emotion of it is just overwhelming to him. And he holds it together long enough to excuse himself to get into the back room, and he totally just breaks down and loses it, and he just weeps. He just weeps. He weeps for his brother. He, he, he extends him this grace. He wants to be gracious. We get down to the end of the passage. We see that he, he, they, they, they pass the meal out, right? And, and Benjamin gets five times more than every, everyone else, right? I mean, you, you, see, you, see what, you see what Joseph wants to do, and, and you see the heart of, of God. You see the heart of Jesus, of what he wants to do. And, and he wants to do it. And he's going to do it at, at a perfect time. He's going to give you what you need. And then there are those times when it's like, okay, we really need this. We really need this. And it's going to come at the perfect time. And, and God's going to do it. In the meantime, he wants us to continue to walk with him in that humility and honesty so that we can continue to receive the mercy of God and the grace of God in our lives. And we see we see. Joseph weeping over his over his brother and over his brothers really and this kind of remind, reminded me of Jesus. You know that he wept he wept over his friend in John chapter eleven verse thirty five. It's we everyone knows that scripture right? It's the shortest verse of scripture in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Because he was hanging on the cross. No, that's not the context of John 11. He, Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus had died. And he's standing at the grave. He's standing at the tomb. And he weeps over his friend. But then there's another portion of scripture where Jesus talks about wanting to weep over the people. He wept over his friend, but he wept over the people. He wept over the city. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, I'll throw it up on the screen for you. He says, This, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to grow, to, to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, You shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in that setting, He he wept over the city. He wept for the people. I I wanted to gather you. I I wanted to to, to take you to myself. But you were not willing. So Joseph comes back in from from weeping and he washes his face. He says, "Serve, serve the bread. And they ate at separate tables because the Egyptians did not eat with Hebrews. And at the dinner, and we're just going to draw this to a close tonight, Joseph does something very interesting in the way that he has them seated. And it doesn't tell us exactly how this was done, but you've been to a dinner party where you come in, a very formal dinner party where there's like a sign seating, and it's like, oh, which table am I at, Right? It's like a wedding feast or something. It's like, oh, I, 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 hope, I'm at, I'm, I hope I'm at the cool table. I'm not going to be at the head table, but I hope I'm, you know, or I hope I'm at the table closest to the buffet. Right? This is what he does. He has them seated oldest to youngest. And it begs a question. And there's almost a sense that you read the text here. let's go back and read it verse thirty two so they sat so they set him a place by himself and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him. The firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Here's the question. What was going through these guys' heads when they're sat down in their exact birth order? Oh, no. We are seriously done we are done for. I mean, if it wasn't the money in the sacks that did us in, surely our sin is known. Our whole thing is going to come unraveled here. We are done for. But I want to kind of throw a different kind of splash of light on it here. It kind of is also a picture really of how God knows. God is wanting to give grace and he's going to give it at the right time that you need that portion of the grace that you're seeking and he's going to providentially give it. And he knows you, and he knows exactly what your birth order is. He knows exactly where you're seated at the table. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you prayed back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, how God had you move to that place or this place, how you you went to that school or this school or this trade school to learn this situation. And you say to yourself, what's God doing here? What's God doing there? How's God going to bring all this together? And God God is looking at you tonight and he's got everybody seated exactly where he knows exactly where you are. And he's got you seated. He knows where you are in the kingdom of God. And as the sons of daughters, he knows who the who the, the firstborn is and who the lastborn is. And he knows every single situation. And he's going to come in from having wept over you and prayed for you and prayed for you at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to providentially give that grace at the exact time that you need it. And when it happens, you're going to say, Oh, wow. I didn't know where this was all this time. I wondered and wondered and wondered, and perhaps I even almost gave up on God. But God is going to bring it about at the exact time that you need it. God knows. We have got to be, we've got to realize this. Christian, listen to me. We've got to realize that our walk with the Lord is a, is, a, is a journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You're going through. If it was a sprint, hey, I mean, I could get out here in the parking lot and run 100 yards. Not in 10 seconds, maybe like 30, I don't know. <laughs> but let me tell you, running a marathon, completely different story. Now, I've, to- I've been told by people who are runners. Any runners in the house? No, my sister is a runner, my wife actually runs a little bit. There's this thing called the second wind, right? You run a marathon, and one of the things that runners talk about is this kind of like, it's called hitting the wall, right? You run, and it's, you hit this wall, and basically when you hit the wall, It's this. Everything in your body is crying out, stop (laughs) what you're doing. This is foolishness, what you're doing. (laughs) Right? Am I right? Right. This is crazy. There's a nice piece of grass over there. Go lay down on that grass and huff and puff and huff and puff until you can relax. Right? And see, this is what happens in our Christian walk because we're running a race that has been set before us We're running a marathon, not a sprint. And so you may get to those points where you're hitting the wall and everything within you says, I want to give up. I don't need, where's a piece of grass that I can lie down? Guess what? He's the good shepherd and he's gonna make you. He's gonna bring you to green pastures. He's gonna bring you beside still waters, but he's gonna do it exactly and at the right time and at the right moment that he has prepared for you. When he comes back out, He serves the meal, and he brings Benjamin five place settings. Amen? (laughs) It's it's just kind of, you know, what I saw here when I looked at this is just kind of, I just saw the heart of God who wants to, like he's a good, good father, and he wants to pour out his blessing. He wants to pour out his blessing. And perhaps you feel like, well, well, where is it then? We come in and we sing all these songs, Good, Good Father. And I really want to know, where is the blessing that you talk about, Pastor? Where is this blessing that these people write these songs? It comes when we do what we've been talking about tonight, humbly coming before him, being open and honest in our relationship with him receiving what he wants to give you in that mercy and grace as a gift from him and then relying on him in the process that he's providentially going to bring it about at the exact time and so sometimes people give up on the early process and say well you know or they haven't gotten past actually coming clean with the lord they're still kind of like hey is this loaded gun is this bag of marijuana is this yours no lord that's not mine and i have no idea Where that came from. God wants us to come clean. He wants to receive his grace and mercy as a gift. And he wants us to realize that he's going to bring about that exact grace and providence in the exact time. He He knows when you were born. He knows when you'll breathe your last. He knows what you're trusting him for. Trust him and continue to run the race that has been set before you, Christian.